Good morning, everybody. It really is. Uh, I was just telling Pastor CJ, it's, uh, I know I've been here a matter of minutes, <laughs> but um, there, there just seems to be something really, really sweet about the culture and um, the spirit of what God's doing here in your community. We've absolutely loved getting to know the folks at Citizens. And so again, my name is Philip, and, um, and I'm, I'm with Foster the Bay. And I, I'm, I'm really, I'm glad to be here um, for a chance to share about something I think is really near to the heart of God. And because it's near to the heart of God, I know it's near to the heart of this church. Um, and so I'm, I want to share with you a, a, a talk I'm just calling Remarkable Compassion. That's what we want to talk about today is Remarkable Compassion. And um, just, just so we're on the same page right at the gate, um, let me tell you what I mean uh, when, I, when, when, we, when we say the word compassion. It's really simple. If you break that word down, it's calm and then it's passion, C-O-M, passion. Passion means to suffer uh, and calm, C-O-M, means with. So to suffer with. That's what compassion means is, is to stand with those who are suffering. And again, I know that that's, what, that's really near and dear to the heart of Pastor CJ, to the heart of this church. We've been singing and talking about it all morning long, in fact. Um, if you open up the scriptures, uh, it's really clear. Uh, God loves every person on this planet, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? He wishes that none would perish, but that all would come to eternal life, right? God loves every person on this planet. But if you open up the, the scriptures, it's also really clear. Um, there are some people that have a special place in God's heart. Um, if you open up the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, there are some people that make the top of God's list. Uh, and I, I'd, I'd, I'd go to battle on that one. And we know, we know who they are. It's, it's the orphan, it's the widow, it's the immigrant. All throughout the scriptures, we, we see it abundantly clear. God loves the orphan, the widow, and the immigrant. They have a special place in God's heart. I'll take you to one, one, one verse in particular. Can I take this off? Is that all right? I'm not good at standing still. I feel awkward. Okay, if it starts squealing with feedback or whatever, then I'll, I'll come back. But uh, all right. Hey, so let me, let me take you to one, one passage, Psalm 82. It says this. It says, defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed, rescue the weak and the needy. That's literally one of dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of scriptures all throughout the Bible to make it absolutely clear what God's heart is towards those who are in need, right? What God's heart is towards those who are vulnerable. And because that's true of God's heart, that's, that's a def defining characteristic of who God is. That's been a characteristic of God's people since the beginning. That, that's, that's part of who we are as, God, as God's people, as the church. Um, in fact, did you know that the, the first known hospital in every nation across the globe was started by the church? Did you know that? The first hospital that we're aware of in every nation across the globe was actually started by followers of Jesus. If you look at education reform and prison reform and, and women's rights and the abolition of slavery and civil rights, they all trace their roots back to followers of Jesus. Like time and again, you could point to examples of the way that church moves into places of brokenness and injustice and sorrow and we bring healing and we bring hope. There's a lot of things that are true of the church, some that are not so flattering, but this is true of the church for the last 2000 years. This is who we've been. Um, and the same is true with foster care. Um, the actual, the, the, the father of modern foster care, quote unquote, the, the father of modern foster care here in America was actually a pastor. His name was Charles Brace. Um, Charles was, was uh, back in the 1800s, grew up in the northeastern part of the U.S. Um, at a young age, placed his faith in Jesus and was, um, went, one day was sitting in, in church as a teenager, listening to a message from a pastor. And the, um, the pastor basically said something that just, this became this like defining moment in his life. This became this radical, uh, uh, life-changing experience for him on this one Sunday morning. And this is basically what the pastor said. I'm going to paraphrase. He said, 
you know, when, when we stop and we consider all that God has done for us in our moments of need, all of the, the ways that he's met us when we were vulnerable, when we were broken, when we were hurting, when we stop and consider all of the grace that God has shown to us in our times of need, it's impossible for us to believe that when we see those in need around us, that we don't have at least some level of responsibility to do something. Make sense? Can I say that again? All right, so when we stop and we consider all the ways that God has met us when we were in need, it's impossible for us to believe that we now don't have some level of responsibility to do something when we see those in need around us. And that was, again, that when the pastor said that, it just like made a lot of sense to Charles. And so a few years would go by and he was uh, in New York City and he was uh, studying to become a pastor. He wasn't going to Bible school. And one day he went out for a walk in the streets of New York and he came into a neighborhood called Five Points, which Five Points at the time was known for its, its crime and its poverty and its prostitution and its gang violence. And he said that when he walked into that neighborhood that his heart just like, his heart melted, his heart broke because what he saw in front of him were a bunch of kids. Kids like living in these really broken, unhealthy environments. And so he said that when he walked into that neighborhood, his mind went back to what his pastor had said those years before. And he remembered like, man, in light of all that God did for me when I was in a in like really broken place, I have to do something with what I see in front of me. And so we got some of his buddies together and they started um, what they called the Children's Aid Society. And the Children's Aid Society started all these programs that dealt like at a systemic level with what, what they were seeing in front of them in, in, in Five Points. So for example, they started the first free school lunch programs. They started schools for kids who were, who were disabled. And they, they, started, um, they started the first ever PTA, Parent Teachers Association, came from the Children's Aid Society in New York City in the 1800s. Um, but most notably, they started what we call here in America they, uh, foster care. So foster care was actually started by a pastor. Foster care was started by a Christian with the motivation that in light of all that, these, all, all that God has done for us when we were in need, we can do the same for those around us. So they would, help these, they, they, they would help these kids who are living in these really unhealthy environments find a stable home to live in until their biological family was able to care for them again and then they were reconciled back together. And what morphed from there became what we call here in America foster care. So I don't know if I'm clear or not this morning, but like that's our legacy as a church. Like that's what we do. That's our, that's our history as God's people. It's time and again, we've entered into places of brokenness and injustice and, and we've brought um, healing and we brought hope. Like that's our legacy. That's the torch that we carry on today. Um, the, the same is true, not just with foster care, but the same is also true with adoption. Uh, maybe you, maybe you all are, are aware of this already, but um, Christians really led the way in, in, in so many ways with adoption. We have actually historical records about um, early Roman families they would do this with this ritual oftentimes when a when a child would be born into a roman family there would be this ritual where the child would be placed down at the feet of its father and in this ritual if the father stooped down and picked up the kid the child was said to be legitimized like welcomed into that family and it was this beautiful ceremony um the problem is sometimes the dad didn't stoop down and pick up the child if for whatever reason maybe the child looked sick looked weak, looked frail. Maybe the child wasn't the preferred gender of that day. Um, maybe it was simply an inconvenient time for the family, but if for whatever reason, the dad didn't stoop down to pick up the kid, instead what would happen is he would take the child outside of the city and be left alone. And one of a few things would happen. One, it, it obviously, it might die from the elements or from starvation. Uh, 
Number two, it might, it might be found by traffickers. Uh, it was not uncommon for slave traders to go around and they would actually find these kids and end up selling them off into slavery, um, especially because so many of them were girls. Um, or third, what, we often, what often also happened was they would be found by Christians. Because we also have historical records, actually many of them, that tell us how early followers of Jesus would often go outside of the city at night and they would walk up and down the streets listening for the cries of children. And when they'd find these kids, they would rescue them and they'd bring them back into their own homes and they would raise them up as their own sons and daughters. And it was the early Christians that put pressure on the Roman government to outlaw that practice that they called infant exposure. So you follow me. <laughs> like this is our legacy. This is the legacy of the church. This is what we do is we bring healing and we bring hope. And, and it, this isn't just meant to be our past. This is meant to be what's true and characteristic of us today in, in our generation right here. And, and I'm stoked to be able to, to be here and be able to share that. Um, we have that same opportunity. It's just that the, the difference is this, like you and I don't have to walk up and down the streets of San Francisco or up and down the streets of San Jose or like, we don't have to walk up and down the streets of our city listening for the cries of kids because the state of California has told us where we can find them. Um, about six, seven years ago, uh, my wife and I became foster parents and uh, I was pastoring a small church in San Jose at the time. And uh, these, these kiddos were uh, coming into our homes, these kids had been abused or neglected, and it, they just, it just broke our heart. Um, and at the time, again, I was pastoring this church, about 100 people, and we, we stood in front of the church one, um, one morning on a Sunday, and we said, hey, let's do this as a community. What if we, I, I really truly believe that this is the most vulnerable population in the Bay Area. What if as a whole church community, we were to find ways together that we could help these kids and their families? And so um, we, we came up with all these different options of ways that we were gonna go and serve, and um, let me tell you what happened. Um, some social workers in the South Bay heard um, what we were trying to do and they reached out to us. They said, hey, can we sit down with you? And so uh, we sat down with them and, and, and she said, um, hey, we, we think it's great to, to work with your church. We're happy to partner with you all. Um, she said, but the, but the reality is this. She says, right now we're in a, in a crisis. The term she used was actually emergency crisis. And she said, uh, there are more kids coming into foster care today in the Bay Area than there are homes that are ready for them. In fact, here in San Francisco, more than half of the kids that come into foster care in the city have to be placed in homes outside of San Francisco and other parts of the state. More than half, about 60%. And that's true, that's, there, there's, to varying degrees, that's true in all 10 counties of the Bay Area. And she said, we're in an emergency crisis. She said, do you, do you think that there might be other churches that might wanna come alongside you and help us to address this crisis? Um, hey guys, over the last six years, it's been one of the greatest joys of my life watching the way Bay Area churches and families have responded to that invitation six years ago. Um, it's been absolutely incredible. We, what started with, with one little church in, in San Jose is now 154 churches across all 10 Bay Area counties that are, that are raising up foster families and support structures like, like CJ just talked about. Raising up foster families and support friends and we're getting to the place where we're working towards the day when there's gonna be a waiting list of families rather than a waiting list of kids. That's what we're working towards. Um, it's been absolutely beautiful to see the way the Bay Area Church is once again becoming um, that, that, that community where it's, it's clear that abused and neglected kids are, are cared for as beloved sons and daughters. That's who we're becoming. Um, are you with me? All right. Great. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. All right. That's good. All right. I want to make sure you guys, you guys, are, you guys are tracking your following. This is, it's, been, it's been absolutely 
beautiful to, to be able to watch. The work, uh, there's still much to be done. Uh, and, it's, and, it's, and it's through communities like Citizens uh, that, that we're going to continue to see foster families and support friends um, raised up. In fact, actually, it, I'll, I'll just mention this. I'll mention this, and it's going to sound like we're, we're patting ourselves on the back. I don't mean it to be like this at all. But um, actually, in about a week and a half, we're going to be changing our name from Foster the Bay to Foster the City. I say that because if you get emails from us in the future, that's us. Um, actually, not only have I just been, been in awe of what God's doing in the Bay Area, leaders in, from around the country are seeing what, what is happening with the Bay Area Church. Um, and they're wanting to see this happen in their communities as well. So in, in, this summer, we're launching in Southern California as well. Um, and we're going to be working in churches in Southern California where they, where they manage the largest population of foster kids uh, in the country. And so um, it's because of churches like Citizens and families all over the Bay Area that are leading the way where, where people are saying, we want to be like that. We want to be a part of that. And which is to me just so um, mind-blowing and beautiful. Um, we started this, this, I'm going way off track here, forgive me, but we started this in 2015, which is the year that the Barna Research Group released that study that said that the Bay Area Church was the most unchurched and de-churched uh, population in, 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 uh, in metropolitan region. Most unchurched and de-churched metropolitan region in the country. And so we said, what if we were to, to actually move forward and say yes to this invitation from the social worker? And what if the Bay Area Church's reputation wasn't that we were unchurched and de-churched anymore, but that we were, we, were, we were a group of people. We are a community that cares for the most vulnerable. And we're, we're seeing it. We're seeing it happen. That to me is so amazing. But anyway, with, uh, with uh, kind of the remaining time that I have, I want to share with you three core beliefs that really are, are driving this vision forward, moving this, this, this vision forward. Uh, in the Bay Area, and it's what we've kind of, this kind of foundation that we've stood on, these three core beliefs. And, and I know that, I know that foster care is not for everybody. I'm not coming here today thinking that we should have each of you step in and open up your home. The reality is it's probably not for most of you. It's probably for, it, perhaps God's stirring in a couple of your hearts and you want to be involved with vulnerable kids, um, it, but it's not for most of you. But here's the deal. Um, foster care is one expression of remarkable compassion. Foster care may not be for most of you, but if you're a follower of Jesus, remarkable compassion is for you. That's not up for debate. Like that's part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus lived a life of remarkable compassion. He lived a life for the vulnerable. And as followers of Jesus, we follow in his footsteps in that. So regardless of what expression of, of remarkable compassion that God might be calling you into, I, I do think that these three core beliefs can help to be a foundation um, for each one of us. This isn't just for foster care. So I do think that these three things can be meaningful for you. So stay with me. Okay. So here's that first core belief that really is the foundation behind what we're doing. And that is the first, that, that, that we believe every person has intrinsic value. Every person is valuable. Every person matters to God. Um, we know, of course, in the book of Genesis, it says that God's basically his fingerprint is on us. We were made in the image of the living and holy God of the universe. We were made in his image. In, in Ephesians 1, it says that God spoke us forth from before the foundation of the world. We just sang it in the first song this morning. He spoke us forth from before the foundation of the world. Think about what that means for a minute. That means that that moment between your mom and your dad, that where, where they came together and you were put into being. I know it's disgusting to think about, but just stay with me. Like that moment when your mom and dad came together, that was second in your story. What came first was that you were birthed in the heart of God. 
before time and space. You were birthed in the heart of God before the universe began. And that's true for every man, woman, and child in this city. The book of Isaiah, it says that we are precious to God in his sight. Right? We, we, we matter to God. He loves us. We're valuable to him. I have a friend who's a foster dad. And uh, he tells a story about how uh, one time he, he got a call for a placement. And at the time, he already had kids in the home. And, um, and he, so he said, well, can you tell me a little bit more about, uh, about this kid? Because I, I've already got children in the home. I want to make sure that it's going to be a good fit for my family. And so they said, well, we, we, we don't know too much about him yet. He's brand new to the system. Um, they said, we do know one thing. We know he's a biter. <laughs> My buddy's like, well, what does that mean? Like, what does he bite? <laughs> and he thought to himself, like, I, I'm, I'm not sure I want to take in a biter. And he said, as soon as that thought hit him, though, all of his theology started flooding back into his mind. And he said, I, he said, I realized in that moment that the term biter is an inadequate description of a child. The term biter is an inadequate, incomplete description of a human being, right? Because we're, we're more than the worst thing we've ever done. And, and you're more than the worst thing that's ever been done to you. Can I, let me just, can I say that again? Because I do think that foster care is set aside. Maybe we just need to hear that. I need to hear that from time to time. You're more than the worst thing that you've ever done. And you're more than the worst thing that's been done to you. But you matter to God. You are loved by God. You are valuable to God. And I, he didn't just put it in a book. He didn't just say it. He proved it. How do you determine the value of something? <laughs> you, you know what something is worth by what somebody's willing to pay for it. You know how something is valued by what somebody's willing to pay for it. And what was God willing to pay for us? God proves his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He, he loves you. He loves me. He loves every, every man, woman, and, and, and vulnerable child across the Bay Area. So that, that's, that's that first core belief, is that every person has intrinsic value. That, that leads me to our second, second core belief, though, and that's this, is that uh, their story uh, is our story. We've been, again, we've been singing and talking about it all morning long. Their story, is my, that's my story. There was a time in my life when I was when I was hurting and I was alone and I felt broken and I felt like I had lost all hope for my future. I thought that because of all of the wounds and the scars from my past that I had no hope. Have you been, have you been there? When I was at my lowest and my, in my darkest place, when I thought all hope was gone, um, God met me there and he gave me, he made a way for me to be brought into his family. He made a way for me to be adopted, for me to be called a son of God, a son of the living God. And when I think about the ways that he's met me there and all that he did for me, like it makes me want to, it makes me want to share that same love with others, doesn't it? Um, one of my favorite verses was, is in Ephesians 1, and I think it's Annette. Is it Annette that just read that? Ephesians 1, 5. And again, it says, you can, you can see it on the slides there, but it's God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. It's what he wanted to do and it brought him great pleasure. <laughs> so I, I don't know, I don't know your stories. I don't know, you know, your, your time here at Citizens. Maybe you've, you've been checking things out. Let me say this. Um, if, 
perhaps you're here, you're exploring, you're, you're asking questions. You're at a place where you're saying, you know, maybe there is a God, but even if there is a God, would he want somebody like me? After all the things I've done, all the places I've been, would he even want somebody like me? Um, I've asked those questions at different times in my life. Um, if, that's, if that's you today, and you're asking those questions, would he even want somebody like me? I hope that you hear this verse. He says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. It, we, it's not plan B, it's not plan C. We didn't get him up against the wall. He's not begrudgingly willing to let us in. Like, it, he actually wants to bring us into his own family. It would, actually, it, it would actually bring him great joy, great pleasure to welcome us into his family. He decided in advance to adopt us through Jesus. It's what he wants to do and it would bring him great pleasure um i think uh, <laughs> uh i think that to some degree is that a gopher or something gotta, gotta added one more to the attendance awesome um so uh this this verse one of the reasons i love this verse is i feel like i've gotten a, a small little taste of what it means to experience pleasure when it comes to um adoption and welcoming into the family. Um, can I, I'm going to totally divert too. Can I, I'm going to share, I'm going to share another story that's not in my notes, but, um, I just got to share it. Uh, so my, my wife and I've been married for almost 18 years. When my wife and I first, um, when my wife and I were first married, we, one of the things we would do together is we'd read together at night. We'd read book series. This is obviously before our kids, uh, but we would read together at night. And one of the series that we read was, uh, was the Chronicles of Narnia. You're probably familiar with, with the stories, but Narnia is about four kids, primarily in the beginning. It's, it's Peter, Susan, Edmund, Lucy, right? Boy, girl, boy, girl, brothers and sisters. And one of the, the kind of points of conversation as we were reading that book was, ah, oh, that, that's, a, that's a pretty great number of kids. Like, that would be cool one day to have four kids. And so some time goes by, and my wife and I start popping out kiddos. And as you'd have it, we have three kids boy girl boy so we got our peter we got our susan we got our edmund and we were just missing our lucy and uh so we would often say as years would go on like oh we're just missing our lucy we we really want to get that that fourth little girl but um we eventually we decided to jump into foster care and we said we'll we'll care for some kiddos that way and so we just started welcoming in kids into our home and uh but we would also often talk about one day we're gonna we're going we're gonna to get that Lucy. We're going to get our fourth little kid. Which, by the way, we didn't name our kids Peter, Susan, Edmund. Can I clarify that? Okay, we're not that into Narnia. But we, we would always say, we got to get our Lucy. My, actually, my, my daughter, my second born, actually had a, a baby doll that she called Lucy. And that was going to be like, that was like our fourth kid up. Um, well, uh, eventually, as we were fostering, at one point, I got a, a phone call as, as at work. And my wife called and said, hey, you got to come down uh, to the county building after work. They want, to, um, they want us to, to get to know about this one little girl. She's two months old. She needs uh, a foster home. And so I went down there and uh, met her outside the county building. And she was standing by the door and she said, Philip, guess what her name is? Her name is actually Lucy. <laughs> and so we said yes to this little girl. Little Lucy came into our home and for almost four years, we fostered her. And about partway through her fostering journey, um, we were told um, it was not going to be possible for Lucy to go back to her biological family for a whole lot of reasons. She was not going to be able to go back home and she was going to need another option for permanency. They said, would you guys consider that? And so this last November, we adopted little Lucy and uh, she became a part of our forever family. Um, this morning, when I left my house in the East Bay, 
and, and drove out here. Just before I left, uh, she came waddling out of her bedroom and her little Elsa jammies with her disheveled hair. <laughs> and she crawled, and I gave her a hug, and she crawled up into my wife's lap, who was reading her Bible. And, and, um, and when I think, when I think that God looks at me the same way that I look at her, the way that I love her and I find delight in her, Lucy's name actually means light. That's what Lucy means. That's what she's been to our family. That's what she's been to my own heart. When I think that God looks at me in the same way that I get a look at her, it says that God bringing you into his family would bring him great pleasure. I think it's one of the most beautiful, I'm sorry, we went way off track, but I just want to, I want to share with you, it's one of the most beautiful realities if we could just know it each day. But when God bringing us into his family not only brought him great pleasure and joy, it came with something else, didn't it? It came with sacrifice. It says, for the, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Right? There's joy and there's a cross. In the same way, when you and I show compassion towards others, um, there will always, always, always be a cross involved. There will always be a sacrifice, a cost involved. Um, we often will get asked when, we, uh, when, we, when people hear that we foster, they say, oh, that's so cool that you guys do that. I can never do that. I hear that all the time. I can never do that. Isn't that hard? They say, like, isn't it difficult to, like, have kids come into your home and then you fall in love with them and you get attached to them and then one day they just get picked up and go back home? Isn't that difficult? Um, you want to know the answer to that question? Yes, it is difficult. <laughs> yes, it's hard. Of course it's hard. The first little girl that we brought into our home, um, she was four months old. And uh, we had her for just under a year. And uh, we, we poured our life into this little girl. She very quickly became like a daughter to us. And uh, she, became like a, she became a sister to my kids. And she, she took her first steps in my living room. Her first words were dada. She called me dada. That was her first word. Her, she called my wife mom. We, we absolutely fell in love with this little girl. At the same time we were falling in love with her, though, we were getting to know her biological parents. And um, there was a... The reality is her parents had made some pretty significant mistakes. There was a reason why their daughter was with us. Um, at the same time, over that year, they were doing everything they could to get healthy, everything that they could to be able to get their little girl back. They were taking all the right steps, going through all the right programs. And so after about a year, the judge gave the green light. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember handing this little girl back into the arms of her dad at my front door. My son, who was seven at the time, my oldest, um, said it was the first time he'd ever seen me cry because we wept that day and the next day. I, of course it hurts, but we don't show compassion because it makes us feel good, right? Because compassion's not about me and it's not about you. I have a friend who says, you, you, don't, you don't foster to get a child for your family, you foster to give your family to a child. You see the difference? You don't, that's true, by the way, with any expression of compassion. We don't, we don't do these, we don't volunteer at these places and get involved in these organizations um, so we can pat ourselves on the back and feel good at the end of the day. We, we don't show compassion to get something for ourselves. We show compassion to give ourselves to something. And it's hard, but it's so full of pleasure and joy as well. It's full of beauty and brokenness. And if we are willing to, to embrace both, it's incredible to think about the impact that we can make. That, that, that brings me to my kind of the final 
of the three core beliefs. And that's this, that uh, our investment in the lives of the vulnerable, of our neighbors in need can bring long-term impact. This is beautiful weather. I see everybody taking their jackets off. Um, Listen, you guys probably, uh, you don't have to have any experience in child welfare. You don't have to have any experience in foster care to, to know that this is true. But kids who grow up without a stable environment are far more susceptible to lots of issues as they get older. Um, I could just, I could give you all kinds of stats. 70% uh, of girls who age out of foster care would be pregnant by the time they're 21. Half will be unemployed in their 20s. A third will be on the streets. Half will have a substance addiction. Uh, more than half will have PTSD. You know, you're actually twice as likely to have PTSD as a kid in foster care than a war veteran that's gone through combat. Twice as likely because of all that these kids have gone through because of the abuse, the neglect that they've experienced. Um, a, a, a study was done not too long ago by the FBI that said that 60% of the kids that they rescued from trafficking here in the States came from foster care, 60%. So when we, in 2015, when the social worker asked us if we'd consider starting this alliance of churches and start rallying other churches to get involved in this. We started doing some of this research and we were like studying these stats and we realized, okay, we need churches and individuals and organizations that are, that are addressing those issues like trafficking. We need IJM that are like knocking down doors and rescuing men and women who are being trafficked. We need that to continue. We need people in the tenderloin helping those who are homeless, helping those who need jobs. We need, we need help with housing. We need help in all of these different areas. But what if in addition to that, we also go upstream and we care for the kids before they ever enter into those issues? Like what would the statistics look like in the Bay Area in 15 years if every kid that entered into foster care today was immediately placed into a stable, loving home where they could experience the love of God? Think about how that, how that would transform the Bay Area. That's one of our big mantras is the best way to see a transformed Bay Area tomorrow is if we care for our vulnerable kids today. Now it's been, again, like I said, so incredibly beautiful and powerful to watch the way Bay Area churches and families are doing that. And I just wanna extend that invitation. Perhaps God is stirring in your heart to get involved in some way. There's a few ways that you could do that. Um, number one, you could actually become a foster parent. You could actually open up your home to a child who's in need. Um, that's not for most of you. <laughs> it's, it's not for most of you. So just take a breath. All right. We're not, we're not sending you home with a kid today. All right. Uh, it's not for most of you, but it may be for one or two of you. Perhaps he's stirring something in your heart. You've thought about this years in the past. Maybe it's something that's just happening today. If that's you today, I want to encourage you to take a step to just simply learn more. But for the rest of us, I hope you, I hope you, you, you heard CJ say earlier, um, there are, there are ways that we can come alongside foster parents and provide the support that they need to be able to do this well. There was a stat that just recently came out said that upwards of 60% of foster families won't make it past year one. By the end of year one, only 40% of foster families are still at it, okay? Because it's really hard to do. It's hard to have kids come into your home and fall in love and then have them go back home and your heart gets ripped out of your chest. And then you get that phone call to say, hey, you wanna do it again? <laughs> it's hard to do. It's hard sometimes to care for kids that come into your home and sometimes because of the trauma that they've experienced, they might act out of that trauma. And that's hard to have. There's oftentimes turbulence in the home. If I'm really honest, there've been times in my home where it's felt like hell. It's been hard. 
It's difficult to do. Do you know what changes though that retention rate? You know what enables foster families to stick with it and to foster longer and stronger? Is if they do it within the context of this right here, within the context of a community. And again, it's gonna sound like I'm patting Foster the Bay on the back. I'm celebrating churches and families because with, with the Foster the Bay families that have stepped forward, our, our retention rate isn't 40%, it's over 90%. The, the reason why is because, well, two reasons. Number one, because I think that our, our motivation is the gospel. Our motivation is because of what God's done, done for us. We act out of gratitude in that. But number two, because we've got community that's surrounding these foster families to help them. So here, here's, what a support, here's what a support structure, a support friend is not. CJ says, uh, hey, Philip, I'm fostering. And, and I say, great, call me if you need me sometime. That's not a support friend. That's not, that's not a covenanted community. Because I would never hear from CJ. Because nobody likes to ask for help. For every church that we partner with, we want to see, our goal is to see at least one new foster family step forward with a team of four covenanted support friends. So these, a support friend is somebody who says, all right, I'm in it. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna stay with you throughout the duration of that child's placement. I'm gonna be there if it's two years, if it's three years, if it's one year, I'm with you. I'm covenanting myself to you. A couple times a month, I'm gonna come in and engage and provide some really meaningful, practical, emotional, spiritual support. It's praying for them. It's reaching out on a regular basis. It's babysitting for them so that they get date nights. It's, it's I keep pointing to you because you guys are gonna do it, so I'm just kidding. Uh, just uh, speaking it into existence. No, I'm not totally. But, uh, it, but it's babysitting, it's, it's, it's bringing meals over, it's door dashing, so it's providing meaning, it's at least twice a month, meaningful, practical, spiritual support to a family on their journey. So not everybody can foster, but almost anybody can come alongside and, 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 and become a support friend. And there's one other role I wanna to highlight too that, that, that's absolutely critical, and this is actually the role that I was praying for most of all when I came in, and that is the role of what we call an advocate. An advocate is somebody, in each of the local churches we partner with, we raise up at least one person to help care for the foster families and support friends. That can't be CJ, it can't be Georgia. They've already got a dozen things plus on their plate. So we're looking for somebody who says, hey, this could be something that I could do. I'm passionate about this. I care about my neighbors in need. I wanna be able to help provide some leadership in my community. So when foster families and support friends step up here, I'm gonna help get them connected. I'm gonna help provide care and accountability and encouragement. If you're interested in that role today, I want you to know we'd love to be able to, to connect with you. You can talk with me, you can talk with Georgia, but then also um, I want you to know you wouldn't be alone. We have a team that would actually train you and coach you and provide ongoing care and support. Um, and so you wouldn't be alone as you take that step and you'd be able to work with churches all around the city and around the Bay Area as we build these, these, this ministry together. Um, those are the three roles, foster family support friend or an, or an advocate. If you're interested in any way, there are our next step cards right there and I'd love for you to take some time at the end and, and just fill that out. Um, and again, I promise you, if you fill that out, we will not drop a foster kid off to your house tomorrow. All we're gonna do is we're gonna email you a link. We're gonna email you a link where you can um, see all the different dates that we have coming up of what we call interest meetings. They're just informational meetings where you can learn more about these three key roles, okay? So we're just gonna send you a link. Let me close with this. Um, like I said, foster care is not for everybody, but if you're a follower of Jesus, remarkable compassion is for you. So the question I just wanna ask you to consider is, am I living a life of remarkable compassion? Am I following Jesus in this area? Am I living a life of compassion for my neighbors in need? Um, I started by telling you what the word compassion means. Let me, let me just finish by telling you what the word remarkable means. So the word remarkable literally just means 
able to remark on it. You're able to remark on it. In other words, it's worth talking about. It's worth, am I living a life of compassion that's worth talking about? Because in Matthew 5, Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they might see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So when people look at your life and they look in your homes and the way you spend your time and the way you leverage your gifts and your skills and your networks and your platforms, the way that you spend your resources, like when people look into your life, does it cause a response? Are you living a life of remarkable passion? That's what I'm called into. That's what you're called into. It's beautiful. It's broken. It's hard and it's absolutely amazing. Uh, and that's what, I, that's what I'm praying for you today. Let me, let me pray for us now. God, I'm so grateful for um, this church. I thank you, God, for what you've done in them. I thank you, God, for the, the way that they've been leading the way in so many ways, God, when it comes to the vulnerable and, uh, and caring for their community. I thank you, Lord, for um, the, the progress that your church the families in the Bay Area have made already now for hundreds and hundreds of children. God, what a gift it is to be your hands and your feet, agents of reconciliation. God, being able to stand in the gap for kids in need, being able to advocate for families and, and restoration of families. God, I thank you for the, the love that we've been able to share, God, and I pray that that continues. I pray that this part of the city would not be the same as a result of citizens being here now in this time. God, please stir in the hearts of, of, of your people, God, to take steps to engage. I pray, Lord, that you would give us both the clarity and the courage to follow you in your leadership. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.